Hello and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and retired Air Force Colonel. Now, for our regular listeners, you will remember that on last month's episode, we hosted Greg Waters, and Greg is the curator of the National Medal of Honor Museum, and he gave us a behind-the-scenes look at how the museum is working to build a collection of artifacts and memorabilia for the museum that tells the story of our nation's greatest heroes. Now, this month, what we're going to do is we're going to continue that story, but from a different perspective. Today, we are honored to have with us Mr. Kirk Davis. Kirk is an author, a storyteller, my new best friend forever, and he's the proud son of a Medal of Honor recipient, Army Major Charles W. Davis. Now, recently, Mr. Davis made the decision to donate his father's Medal of Honor to the National Medal of Honor Museum. And so thanks to the generosity of Mr. Davis and his family, future generations of Americans will soon have the opportunity to learn about Major Davis's story of courage and sacrifice and be inspired by the traits embodied in the medal and the brave individuals who earned it. Now, along with his father's medal, Mr. Davis also shared precious letters that his father wrote to his mom, Joan, letters that relate to his receipt of the award back in 1943. And so this is a love story of Charles and Joan Davis, and this is one for the ages, which is something we thought was especially appropriate this month as we mark the most romantic of all holidays, Valentine's Day. So here to tell us about his father's heroism and his parents' epic love, Mr. Kirk Davis, I want to welcome you to the Mission Inspire podcast, Mr. Davis, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted with the opportunity and humbled, actually. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear more about all of this. Yeah, well, I, I, I believe me when I spontaneously walk people through a elevator speech a profile of the of the story, I include they say talent skips a generation. So I'm just a spokesman. <laughs> Hey, but you know what? If it wasn't for the spokesman, the talent would never uh, have their stories told. Yeah. So uh, whether or not skips a generation, I can argue on that point, but I'm glad that you are the spokesman. Uh, so let's do that. Let's start with your parents. Uh, you are their spokesman now. So their story was this epic one that you felt called to write a book about. Now I read a little bit about their experience on the day the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. My mom was also there at Pearl Harbor in the oh. IAEA area. And so your parents were stationed at Honolulu at the time, right? Uh, Schofield Barracks. Yep, okay. And okay. Uh, the day later, so on the 8th, after the day that lived in infamy, a day later they got another surprise, is that correct? Yes. And what was that surprise? My older beautiful sister who is now in heaven, uh, she died last December, uh, four sorry, days yes. after she turned 80. And oh, my mother wow. said, my mother said she was the Pearl Harbor baby who could never lie about her age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I'm sorry for her passing, but I'm glad that you oh, guys had she, a she, good time together. She, and so uh, mom, mom was, uh, she, she, she had dad's back for 70 or 80% of their life together. Uh, and, um, but she was no shrinking violet. She was uh, uh, discovered by Hollywood. Uh, That's fantastic. Mom and dad, uh, a contemporary that was very close to us, uh, 
my wife's second and my second mom was very close friends that, that came and, and went with assignments with mom and dad. And uh, she said, the party didn't start until your mother and dad showed up. Nice. So I always say mom upstaged dad 13 months before he did the John Wayne charge <clears throat> on Guadalcanal. And uh, well, so that, yeah, that was at Schofield Barracks the day of the bombing. Mm -hmm. And of course, everyone was walking out, uh, waking up and looking up and, and thinking it's air maneuvers, you know. At right. So uh, the, the Colonel Salgado next door, <laughs> mother came out. Dad was on perimeter defense in, in Honolulu in the water, the uh, either the electric plant or the water plant. Mm -hmm. uh, with his platoon and uh, because the army was on alert that weekend. So oh. he, he was not on Schofield barracks, but the, the Colonel next door uh, said, Joan, for God's sakes, get down. And she threw herself down in the, in the dirt later, 16 years, 60 years later at the uh, uh, commemorative ceremony. She said, I was so upset because I had just bought this beautiful new, the maternity outfit from Liberty House. <laughs> That's all she could think of in the, in the uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian dirt. But uh, she, she was later evacuated with uh, many dependents and children mm -hmm. on, on a bus going into Honolulu. And they deposited the, the evacuees uh, on um, a high school gymnasium floor to sleep wow. overnight. And she went into labor and gave birth to my sister at, at uh, Kapiolani Maternity <laughs> Hospital. She sent- Yeah, that's- Yeah, and the hospital sent my second lieutenant father a $250 maternity bill. <laughs> oh my gosh. Back then, back then was 2,500. Right. Know? And he said, yeah. it, it, he rarely told stories about World War II and uh, and on mom but he said she, had, she why couldn't she have had tri tripler the army hospital uh yeah. it, where it would have been two dollars and fifty cents <laughs> yeah so so it's interesting you talk about so let's talk so your 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 mom was on the birthing field and and then your dad um eventually went to the battlefield so you talked you mentioned about the battle of guadalcanal how yeah. does your father remember that that battle, not the birthing battle and the bill, um, but how did your dad um, describe the Battle of Guadalcanal to you? Well, he never did. Mm. Uh, he was very much a, in a crowd of millions of, of veterans that never, mm -hmm. from World War II, that never right. spoke, that never spoke of it. Uh, it was, um, but it, it was accounted many, many times in articles and books and, and magazines, and they all had con conflicting details. Oh. But the way he described it was elegant in, mm. in as much as he did not take the the whole role of heroism he shared it with soldiers he was always 
always honoring the army, his country, the obligation. He described it humbly. Right. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. Factually and humbly uh, silhouetted against the sky. You know, that, that was General Collins that, re, that was looking at, at the soldier with field glasses from the command post mm. and wanted to know who that soldier was. And it was his, one of his favorite young officers, my father. Huh. I'm reading from an excerpt in my book about okay. my father. And about okay, let's hear it. leadership and heroism. Okay. My father cool. and I never discussed the events of January 13, 1943. So any conjecture on my part was always problematic at best concerning the motive or motives behind his tenacity. That is until I watched a televised interview featuring civil rights activist Bernice Johnson Reagan that focused on her leadership during a 1961 protest against discrimination. As she reflected on her own fearlessness in the face of life-threatening circumstances, it dawned on me that Bernice and my father in separate but very similar circumstances, life-threatening, relied on the same bare-boned, stripped-down playbook dealing with life when it came to crisis management. Bernice echoed my father's manner of speaking on any subject with a mix of clarity, irrefutable reasoning, and more than a hint of Dixie gentility when she explained, <laughs> quote, now I can say, I look at some of the things we did and what in the world came over us, but death had nothing to do with what we were doing. If somebody shot us, we would be dead. And when people died, we cried and we went to funerals. And we went and did the next thing the next day because it was really beyond life and death. It was really like sometimes you know what you're supposed to be doing. And when you know what you're supposed to be doing, it's somebody else's job to kill you. Hmm. I was sitting there at, at, at probably the, the, the last of 24 saves of the manuscript considered final <laughs> over the past, over past two years, I go, oh, right. this is the final draft. And then something else falls in my lap and then something yep. else falls in my lap. So I'm sitting there uh, watching t a t a history channel or, or whatever mm -hmm. it was a Saturday morning and I went, oh my God, that, that's my father, you know, huh. principal. And it applied to his job, his job. It was a job that there was no, uh, it, it, but there was so much more to go into it in, in terms of his DNA. Yeah. I love that. Well, but you, you also have, um, a, a, a nice collection of letters that your parents wrote to each other while they were, yeah separated in the mil because of the military, right? Yes. And so why are those letters so special to you and your family? Because you also donated a significant number of the letters to the National um, Medal of Honor Museum, right? Yes, and, and eventually uh, it, it reprises the best of times of my mm. parents. 
life together um, as a salve or healing liniment to the worst of times. That I love that the children uh, witnessed. And uh, my journey through their life, through their letters, through home movies, was just a, a, a healing salve and, and emotional liniment uh, for my PTSD. So I, I have a question for you then. So you talk about how the letters, and I love how you say that it reprises the best of times that provides healing and a salve for the worst of times. So I can understand why those letters are so special to you and your family. So my question is, how is sharing those priceless treasures with the museum and everybody that's gonna walk through that, why is that important to you and your family? Like why be so selfless with something that's helping well, you heal? They um, actually bring how, to life a, a vanished era of, of romance. Mm -hmm. Let, let's focus on on the good stuff uh, right. the the letters do and 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 they um, they will appeal to and spark em, an emotional resonance in the viewers and and God put together a package of a, a Gary Cooper hero and a Hattie Lamar beauty. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were just an incredible couple, uh, full of of the um, principles that motivated, that uh, disallowed uh, vanity. Uh, mothers uh, came from a, a very disciplined, uh, lace curtain Irish Roman Catholic heritage. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Both of them, it was a responsibility to be civil and presentable in, in appearance. It wasn't vanity, but that was the era where uh, the, the middle class could look just like the social 400 <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, of high society. Right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, I have a, quite a few little post-its here. Yeah, to, you do. No, are those are those from the letters between your parents? Oh yeah, of the love story of the lovey lovey dovey stuff, and uh, <laughs> the the uh, the the code that I pulled from years years back reading all the letters. Uh, the There's code a code Dad used has quite a quite a few. Uh, oh oh, I know I know what happened on Friday because uh, uh, uh -oh. it, it's laced with, the letters are laced occasionally with, guess what day it is? It's Friday, our Friday, our day. And, and uh -oh. I'm sure that, that they fell in love on a Friday. Oh, uh, literally. That's sweet though. That's sweet that you have that insight. And I love that you're gonna share that with people um, who are gonna walk through the museum so what, what do you think it's going to feel like kind of transporting yourself to 2024 when you walk through the museum, when the doors first open, how do you, like, what do you anticipate feeling to see your family's heirlooms, like their love story featured so prominently? And what do you want people to take away? I love that you have this showing highlights of a vanished era of love, 
but what else do you want to viewers to take, not viewers, what, what else do you want people to walk through to see this well curated museum with all of your family's heirlooms featured as part of this, this, this tapestry of stories? What do you, what do you think you're going to feel and what do you want other people to feel? The previous, uh, quote that I, that now I can say, I look at some of the things we did and what in the world came over us that applies mm -hmm. to, to, to what they will take away. The rota Rotary Club has a motto, service above self. Mm -hmm. And I went three words, three words that epitomized my father and my mother. Right. And, and, and the amalgamation of the story and complexity that I know is gonna be a five-star production mm -hmm. at the museum uh, will, will bring the, the, a 10-year-old to say, gee, wow, or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. Uh, I'm in the process of divesting all of these and, and I'll die. <laughs> I don't have a big, huge family. Uh, mm. And I, I'm sorry, but God put me in touch with this collection of, of professionals. Mm -hmm. And I considered it, quote, sanctum sanctorum. The holy, the holy, the holiest of the holies. For, for archival heritage, you know, for the future of, of my family's story. Yeah. So, so th that is um, one of my sole uh, motivation to, to, to continue the philanthropy. And like that's the, awesome. I'm glad, well, because, because of those philanthropic efforts like you and you know, the other people who have donated things to uh, to Greg to, to curate for the museum. That's how this story is going to get told. And, and I love, I love the the love story that is universal. And I think is more important now than ever when people are so you know, in their screens and, and tweeting things on 144 characters that they have these oh. handwritten letters back and forth. Um, and, and whether they have a code or not, but but your dad, so I know they wrote to each other when they were separated, but your dad didn't, he kept serving past World War II, right? I mean, past yes. the Battle of Guadalcanal. Yes. Um, why do you think he felt the call, I guess we call it, right, to, to continue serving even after World War II? Dad, or was that part uh, of his sanctum sanctorum? You know, dad, dad was, um, well, it's a combination. Uh, I, I'm looking here about dad took pride in mentoring younger folks. Uh, mm -hmm. Mentoring the next generation is so important to your father. Uh, that included, in, in, before that, it included um, the fact that he was, he was blessed. I, I said he was God sent. At, at that on the on those two days on galloping horse, God sent him. Yep. And uh, he was uh, among about a half dozen Medal of Honor recipients at Fort Benning's officer uh, 
uh, in infantry school mm -hmm. in 1946, 40 to 46, 49. And uh, there was an article where uh, General Bradley was uh, visiting Omar Bradley. Yep. And they were, and the article said they were all spark plugs, which, which <laughs> ignites the engine. And that yep. was my father on Guadalcanal and galloping horse. Somebody has to be the spark plug. Yep. All right. That was, that led to his outstanding character and profile in the army. However, I turned outstanding into standing out as he aged and matured and pl played the Lieutenant Colonel for 10 years mm -hmm. and for colonelcy, stopping short of a Brigadier General Star mm -hmm. uh, until he retired. And <clears throat> he stood out um, where his exuberance and, and uh, spark plug turned into moments that were, gee, he shouldn't have done that hmm. throughout his, his later years. Uh, he loved the troops. He loved uh, cheering his, his regiment. He was called the boulder and the infantry oh. was called the rock. You know, and he was celebrated. So, so Dad, it 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 it's plays out in the book uh, with utter detail, elegantly. However, um, and I thought I had all the archives, but three year, two two or three years ago, my uh, nephew, uh, the son the son of my of Carol, my sister sent mm. all the condolence notes oh. that mother received when dad died. I'll it'll take one minute okay. to read the excerpts. Here's my, here's, here's my father. <clears throat> Quote, I will always carry a part of him with me in my heart. Another fellow Medal of Honor recipient. Hmm a man who took me under his wing as he would a son, another Medal of Honor recipient. Your dear Chuck was a wonderful warm man and gave so much love to everyone, a golfing buddy, hmm. a marvelous companion with an unmatched sense of humor, another golfer, an incredibly magnificent man, another Medal of Honor spouse the spouse of a of a medal of honor a brave and vital man unbelievably strong and enduring his loss will be greatly felt by so many our country and the society has lost one of their greatest members as president of the medal of honor society he brought to the organization an added prestige and respect, a great inspiration to us and many more. One of the most impressive individuals I have ever known in my lifetime. 
Wow. In our humble opinion that Charlie was the only president who presented the Medal of Honor in a very dignified manner on all occasions and that the society achieved its greatest recognition under his leadership. Wow. He made the world a better place because he lived in it. A great man, a great soldier, always a gentleman. That was my father after he took the uniform off. Wow. That was my father. That's awesome that your nephew had those and that I know. they got into your hands. Yeah. Now are those, so are those included? So the book we've been kind of referring to is The Hero and the Beauty, which is about your dad and your mom. So are yeah. those condolences, are those, are those part of the book as well? No, I think I'm going to have to uh, do a revised edition, second edition and include that. Okay. But, but in The Hero and the Beauty, you do have, um, a lot of the love letters between your parents, correct? Well, yeah, um, and and I would love I would love to hear some of the letters. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I have them in sequence. Um, mother sailed in Easter uh, Easter Sunday, nineteen forty-two, back with Carol, my uh, a four-month baby, and mm. my father. Um, actually, in nineteen fifty-six. Uh, we were uh, on our way to Bangkok as a family and we were, t I was 10 mm -hmm. and I vividly remember he took us to Hanama Bay on the leeward yep. side uh, or yes, I, I think the right side. I never can remember leeward and one word. Uh, it's on the east side. That's all I know too. Yeah. yeah. Feed the fish. So, so he said, uh, he, he took, he took, he said, this is where the ocean liners sailing at, was the last point of Oahu that they could see from the, the liner, the ocean liners leaving for California. And uh -huh. uh, so he said he took a huge pole and he tied a t-shirt to it, a white t-shirt and he waved it. And uh, I watched your boat quote come by Sunday morning. It was really a, a huge looking thing i waved to you with an old white undershirt i was cleaning my rifle with it was the only thing i had handy i stood and attached it watched it for a long time and put every good wish possible on it before it got out of sight the end of that note darling please don't worry i will take care of myself i think of you and carol ann so very very much I love you, love you, miss you, and adore you, Charles. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, now, do we know if she saw the shirt? No, I don't. Oh. I, 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 no, I don't. I'm going to assume she did. <laughs> yes, we, let's, let's do that. Let's play fairy tale. Perfect. My gorgeous darling, I got your package yesterday. I went, oh, I went down to the company about seven o'clock tonight and there I saw a package for Lieutenant Charles uh, Willis Davis and what, and what was, what was it but the most gorgeous, beautiful, lovable creature I have ever seen, I have seen since April 4, 1942. Gosh, darling, you don't know what it means to have your picture and I'm now looking right at your, uh, 
beautiful self and talking with you about the things we love and the main subject is you darling joan how is our carol i love you too blah 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 so they look at you oh all the boys are asking me how did i do it when they look at your <laughs> i told them it was not so much what you looked like it was how sweet you are and i said i was a sweet boy oh <laughs> i pray to god it is not long before i see you because darling I never mean anything as much as I meant it now. I never knew that a sweet little girl could mean so much to me as you do, darling. But now I know more than I even know when we were married that these will never be any, there will never be any one but you, Joan. And that is what I am living for now. Oh. I gotta say, Kirk, I think I think this is a good place to leave off as we float into Valentine's Day, oh. because that 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 is just a like you said, it highlights a vanished era of love, and I love that these letters are are captured in the book, your book, The Hero and the Beauty, and that you have donated these um, precious family heirlooms to the museum. And so what I want to do is I want to I want to leave our listeners wanting a little more. So I don't want to give it all away right now, um, but we will have in the show notes the way to get a copy of The Hero and the Beauty, which has these letters in there. Is that correct? Yes. Some, some awesome. Of, I mean, 143 letters. <laughs> I know you no. got you got to choose. And how many how many of those letters will we be able to see at the museum uh, when they open their doors in 2024? Oh, I'm sure quite a few more. That's that's awesome, and you, you're yes. obviously working on the second book, which we now have to include the glamour shot. We have to cons- we have to include the condolence notes that yes. uh, summarizes their father from many yes. many different walks of life, and sounds like a lot of golfing buddies. <laughs> yes, I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Davis Kirk, my new BFF. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We have had the honor of talking with several Medal of Honor recipients, like we talked about Greg Waters, the curator, but this is the first time we've actually got to talk with one of the loved ones. And I love that you are such a great storyteller. And I love that your parents' love and your father's actions are in such good hands and that they are in good hands at the museum. Um, Because this is really a, a unique, it's a very important perspective too. And again, this is how the legacy lives on. And I know that the museum is humbled that you and your family have trusted us with your family's keepsakes. Um, And I can't wait to see them when we get to open the doors in Arlington, Texas in 2024. Uh, So we're gonna sign off now. And so if you wanna learn more about the National Medal of Honor Museum, you can go to mohmuseum.org and find us more uh, information on how to, to mission to inspire America. That's what we're here for. So we, we will sign off now and also Look up Kirk's book, uh, The Hero and the Beauty, and we'll see you all next time on the Mission Inspire podcast.